When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody, it's Drags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome in old friend and boss, Rob Bradford from WEEI and WEEI.com and Odyssey Sports. You can find him on Twitter as 62.4 thousand, I think, of you already do, at Bradfo, B-R-A-D-F-O. Bradfo is also the host of the wildly popular Live BB, uh, Live BP show on WEEI, the flagship station of the Red Hot Red Sox, every Saturday, 4 to 6 p.m. And he's also the Northeast Region Lead of Odyssey Sports, where you can find his podcast. What does a Northeast Region Lead do, Rob? I have no idea, Trags. I have yeah, no make idea. Make it up. Make it up. It's, 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 it's all it does, it makes you run out of space on the business card. That's all it does. But, uh, it's first of all, it is so awesome to see your smiling face and hear your male- I, I, I was gonna say a word which I wouldn't be able to pronounce, but just the the soothing tone of your voice is always good to hear. So we've done interviews, we've done podcasts, we've done a lot of different stuff, and it's always one of the highlights. Always paints my day in a brighter, brighter fashion. So I appreciate it. Uh, back at you, of course, uh, Rob was my boss at WEEI.com, and we shared many a debate, many a uh, conversation about uh, what stories should be covered, how, why, and whatever. <laughs> and uh, back in the day, 2008, I was part of the charter team with uh, Boston Globe's Beer, um, and you, and I believe Kirk was on that team. And well, you have... Yeah, I mean, the initial, when we started WEI.com in 2008, you, Alex Spear of the Boston Globe, as you said, Kirk Minahan, uh, Michael Hawley was writing for us at the time, right. Will Leach, who yep. was like right there at that time, neck and neck with Bill Simmons, um, having come off Deadspin stuff. Uh, Ron Borges was with us. Michael Felger was writing for us. Um, but there was no one, and I, and I say this in all sincerity, there was no one more important than you, Travis. There was no one more important. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. It's true. Yeah, I, I mean, it's true. That. And you Absolutely. know what? I, you know, I took pride in it, and I think we all did because we were part of something uh, really unique uh, at the beginning, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun and still continues to be for those back in the market. And uh, all you have to do is read Scott McLaughlin's uh, article on WEI.com about what Saturday night meant to Boston and, and having the Bruins come back the way they did against the Islanders. That was a great read. I really enjoyed that. Okay, so why are the Red Sox 
one of the great stories to start the 2021 season there. 32 and 20. They have a three-game winning streak. They had fans back at Fenway Rob on Saturday, as you know. Um, it was a different kind of Fenway, and everybody was relieved to see fans back there. Why have they gotten off to this great start? Well, I mean, I think you know as well as I it's you have to begin with starting pitching. Either you you sink and swim with starting pitching. Right. And then when we came into this year. People would ask, you know, because I, I had the privilege of doing almost all the spring training games on the radio because no one else could, and there were no other writers there. So I get a chance to see these guys, and people would ask, say, what do you think? What do you think? And I said, well, I can't really tell you because I have no idea which way the starting pitching is going to go. And, and you know, go back tracks to 2015 after John Lester left, the five aces. Remember that? I do. You know? Remember that and how everything was built on projections, Wade Miley, Clay Buckles, Joe Kelly, Rick Porcello, uh, Justin Masterson, everything was built on projections and it didn't work out. And it felt like this was the route that they were going to go this time. But what has happened to answer your question is that it actually has worked out that they've got the best version of these guys, Martin Perez, Garrett Richards, Nick Pavetta, those sort of guys, Nathan Evaldi, the only guy they haven't, that the best version as we sit here is Eduardo Rodriguez, but I'm not overly concerned about him. So I think that's where it begins and ends. Um, and, you know, they've built a pretty interesting team around them. And then you have the foundation guys, the Bogarts, the Devers and Martinez, which is utterly important. Um, but, you know, I, I want you to go back to, you know, people ask about, you know, we have fans in the stands now and we have interest in the team. Remember back in 2013, you went along for that ride with us. Yep. And, and people forget that it took a long time for people to buy into that team because the Bruins were, you, I mean, you were on the Bruins beat. The Bruins were red hot, right? Everyone was about the Bruins. Cup final. Stanley Cup final. Yep. Stanley Cup finals. And then, believe it or not, you had the Aaron Hernandez trial, which sucked the air out of everything at the time. And the Red Sox get off to this good start, but people were like, eh, eh. Right, it wasn't right. only until, I think, August that people bought in. I think what this has done is that as we sit here, as they finally allow fans in the stands, people came back and said, okay, you know, we, we can get a, around this team. And by the way, the other teams they're going against, we're not really overly scared about. So, I mean, all I know I covered a lot in that question, but – you know, there's a lot to cover. Podcast, Brad. You you're allowed to do that, you know. You, you know what? You know what best podcasts are, Rob? Let me yes. let me fill you in. Okay, thank you. My opinion: best podcasts are when you can eavesdrop in on a conversation. So if somebody goes off on a tangent for five, six minutes, yeah, it's part of the yeah. conversation, right? It's not an interview. No, that should no. never be interviewed. By the way, here's a quick aside. Yeah, See that book over your left shoulder. Yeah. Same yep. book, right? The, the two copies still in existence. <laughs> Chasing Steinbrenner. So well, I do have a question about this. All right. And I look at this. What went into the artwork on the cover? Wow. I hated the artwork. I yeah, hated it. I'm not a fan of this because it's clearly, it, it's, an, it's a real image that took place. Soriano, whoever that is, leaping in the air. Um, Listen, Trags, I mean... I think I knew you back then, right? 2003, did I know oh, yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was at the Lowell Sun. And, 
you know, that, that there's a whole, anyone who wants to write a book and it's, it's, it's the whole story behind the story of, of that. And in case people don't know, Chase and Steinbrenner, it was following around two GMs and two teams uh, in 2003. It was Theo Epstein's first year, okay. 28, 29 year old GM and JP Ricciardi up in Toronto. And, um, you know, and so I, the name was like, I thought of the name. I'm like, Chasing Steinbrenner, that's a good name, right? You have right. two teams. And, and then like, uh, I don't think Theo was thrilled with it. I don't think his dad was thrilled with it. Cause you know, obviously from the Red Sox perspective, you don't want to be chasing George Steinbrenner, whatever it's fine, but we got past that. But then when I saw the artwork, I'm like, really, this isn't about the Yankees. Like this isn't, and, and, and you learn that it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, it's like when people want to write a book, say I have a great idea for a book. Well, unless it's marketable, it doesn't matter. And in this case, they wanted to appease the New York market, you know, and, and like when George Steinbrenner died and I get a call from CNN say, can you comment on this? We saw you wrote Chasing Steinbrenner. I'm like, well, if you ever read the book, you know that George Steinbrenner's mentioned like once, you know? So anyway, it's, it, it, whatever I, it's it's uh it was it was a uh, experience of a lifetime to do um unfortunately it's a bad cover <laughs> um speaking of which writing books everybody asks me when are you going to write your first book tracks yes and i've asked i've had a, had this conversation with you it's about getting the right agent doing the right outline doing a lot of work i've got about 11 or twelve thousand words written on what my life was like in boston and I'm trying to get over that, uh, that hurdle to how many, how many words in this book? Ballpark. In that book? No, uh, I think, I think like 80,000. Oh, that's a lot. So, so the other one I did, the other one I did was um, Mike Lowell, Mike Lowell's story after he won the World Series MVP. Over your right shoulder, yes. Yes. And, um, and by the way, completely different experience. I mean, it's like you do that with a player attached. It's like a conveyor belt. This just right. to keep cranking out the advance is big and so forth and so on. But um, that one was 70,000 words. And I remember you usually they say, okay, you know, we need it to be X amount of words. And I remember with that, I'm like, listen, that's all I got for you, man. Like he's got a 70,000 word life and I, and if we're going to stretch it out, it's going to thin it out. So I think that tracks would to answer your question. I think you just got to do what you feel is right. And then hope that it, it sort of lands in, in the spot where the publisher is all right with. It. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. Uh, I can, I can understand it. It's just getting the motivation up and like focus and all that, the concentration to actually do it. Oh, look, it is a hobby. I mean, that's not what it is. You almost have to. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the, the, the great thing about writing tracks is that, you know, and I tell people this, students and everybody else, I tell my kids this, is that the great thing about writing is that, yeah, it's hard sometimes, but nothing will paint your day better if, than if you do something productive when it comes to writing. Yes. Like, I can have the worst day, and then if I write something that I feel like, oh, you know, I'm proud of, I spent time in, it paints your day and, and going on, no offense, but going on the radio, going on TV, going in whatever medium, you know, it, you don't have the same thing. No one's come across, no one's done a four hour radio show 
and said, I nailed that to the level of- Well, it depends on who you, to whom you speak. Yeah, whether yeah. or not they agree with that statement, Rob. Some people. Yeah, well, 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 okay. I mean, it's like you feel good about a radio show, right? You right. feel good, but the sense of accomplishment of doing a of crafting something in the written word, to me, like that paints the day a lot better. So writers intuitively or naturally have that that feeling. I think we're. we're I think also writers make the best radio people. I, have, I also agree with that because usually we are pra practiced and artful in the uh, form of um, expressing our words, like I'm not doing right now. And, and no, and you also have to know what people want. You know, like it's, 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 it's taking a story, and you're always good at this, is taking a story, taking an idea, taking a storyline, and then expanding on it, right? That's, isn't that what the best radio is? Yes, with, with a sense of form and entertainment. It has to yeah. be me, good radio, and, and people would say, well, NPR is different. NPR is different, but commercial radio has to be compelling and it has to be entertaining. Those two elements, if you don't have those two elements, people are just gonna tune out. And that's just the, you know, the way I feel about that and the way I've always felt about that. You're, well, it's good because you're right. <laughs> you know, um, I wanna tell uh, sports fans out there, Rob, that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball, swing, uh, baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and information for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and of course, all your UFC, MMA action, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's the very best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on all the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. They haven't forgotten uh, Alex Cora in Houston as we uh, kick off a four-game series, a, a big, tough stretch for the Red Sox coming up, uh, Rob. They haven't forgotten about Alex Cora in Houston. No. I mean, how can you – I mean – you think back in that tracks, I don't know what your initial reaction, well, obviously it was a big mess, a big cluster and everything else. Um, but as we sort of get away from it, like one of the things that really like is increasingly bothersome to me is the players being so willing to just basically, like Cora was, the, Cora was the sweet spot of this, right? Let's make no mistake about it. Right. He was the guy who was out of the organization who wasn't a player that they could they could say boom that's our guy and he deserved a lot of it there's no question about it but it is mind-boggling looking back at it how you had all these players just with get no off accountability spot. yeah no accountability I, I would agree with that I think that's fair but I think a lot of these players are so conditioned, you know this, Rob, talking to all of them from the minor leagues on up, even before the minor leagues, uh, in amateur ball, high school, if they're playing at a high level, um, Cape Cod, whatever. 
um, look for an advantage and advantage equals cheating. I mean, let's, it's another term for, it's a euphemism for cheating is mm -hmm. advantage in baseball. And that's what they've grown up with. It's a culture of baseball. And what boggled my mind is you're asking these players to immediately change that culture overnight. And these players have become so accustomed and told that your job is to look for any advantage anywhere you can get it. And all of a sudden, don't do that anymore. Well, that's like stopping, you know, a 200 ton freight train coming down the tracks, right? You're not yeah. going to do that overnight. Oh, no. And, and, you know, little things like we had earlier this year, a hitter looking into, and I forget who it was, but a hitter looking into the catcher's signal, you know, like just taking a peek. Listen, I did that in Little League, you know, or whatever. I mean, this is what you do. Obviously, stealing signs from second base, this is what you do. And I think you're right. I think people get caught up in, well, you know, everything is, all of it is, is awful. How can you do that? And but it's not this, it's not the, the same level of banging on a trash can right. or, or the level of what Houston, I mean, they would have kept going with it, let's be honest. And because this wasn't just about Cora, this wasn't just about Hinch, this was about Lunau, this is about let's keep going and we're gonna be smarter than everybody else, which by the way, they aren't alone. I mean, make no mistake about it, right. but it's oh, a great way that you put it because the only way that players actually take all that stuff that they're giving is through the desire of, hey, I gotta have the edge, I gotta have the edge. And what are we seeing now, Travis? Like, what are we seeing now with the pitchers, with, with the substance stuff? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is, Everybody knows, uh, you're like, oh, we got to get rid of the substance. Well, no, you're not going to because. Who was it last week that had uh, the manager, and it escapes me, rip off the, or take, had the play. Joe West. Yeah, right? Kimbrell, right? Yeah. Greg Kimbrell, that's right. Right, and, and, you know, I think the perfect example, we can go back a couple of years with the Pineda stuff with the Yankees and the Red Sox. That was where, that on Sunday Night Baseball, if I remember. Right, Pineda has, has the gob of, of pine tar on him and everyone would say listen you know what are you doing it's like go you have to do that but john farrell at the time knows that his pitchers are probably doing similar things right and then pineda comes back to fenway park and he's basically like it might as well have been dripping from his visor and they finally say listen we enough we have to say something about this right but you know there is no quiz remember the buckholds bullfrog stuff you know, I mean, it's like, like the, 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 the uh, tanning or whatever. It was uh, skin protect UV. Right. And, and, like, and, and, everyone, and Buckholds, you know, Buckholds, like, hey, listen, I'm outside, even though it was in Toronto, I think, with the dome. Yes. But, it, but everybody knows what's going on. But it's like, well, everyone's doing it. So you're a little reluctant. My point is, is coming back to what you said, it's going to keep going and going and going because people are, you're inherently ingrained to find the thing that is going to keep your job above the other guy. And so here's Rob, where I think the story took on a life of its own and really crossed the line with video. And I think a, even with the trash can banging, that was bad. It was like with the pine tar on Pineda's cap. It was so obvious, just cut that shit out and you know, you're fine. But I think with the video, the sign stealing, and when it became so sophisticated that teams with different video systems had a much more sophisticated advantage over others, that's when I think baseball became really troubled by it.
Yeah. And I and think the video about, element was a big part of baseball cracking down on this. It's interesting because I went back to, I think it was two, it's 2018 and it was a June series in Houston. And at that time we started, I think Remy was the first one to point this out. And, and now, and the Red Sox were giving multiple signs with nobody on second, nobody on base. Right. This was in Houston. Now, they were doing it in Houston, but they actually had started it about a month earlier in Toronto. And, and the point is, is that a lot of teams were, at least perception was, a lot of teams were using the videos to do this, to find it. At least the Red Sox at that time, they certainly thought so, which is why you're giving multiple signs with nobody on base. Right. And, you know, I think that's when – you know, that's when I think it really came to a crescendo. And that's when I think baseball became very, very concerned. All right, enough of that. Um, let's get back to talking baseball. And your MVP of the 2021 Red Sox so far, who would it be? Ooh, I mean, that's a tough I, one, right? I, I, there's I, been a lot the, of key players. Yeah, and, and I won't, and I can't do Alex Cora because Alex Cora would be my MVP, but. I was going to uh, get to him, but okay. But no, 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 I'll do a player. I'll do a player. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, this has been asked before, and I, and I usually give Xander Bogarts because I think that he's probably the deepest into the MVP uh, actual race in the American League. And now with Trout down, you, maybe you, you know, if Otani slumps a little bit, maybe you have a conversation with him. Right there. I mean, look at his numbers. His slat, he's slashing it uh, as of Monday morning before the uh, Houston series, 326. 387 and 565. His OPS is 952. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that with Bogarts, so I'll go with Bogarts, but the thing with Bogarts tracks, and you know this, is that people are just waking up to how good this guy is. Like, so it's you, like, we knew he was good. He's been around since 2013. People forget these things. Right. But, but here's the thing is that. 2019, and this exercise has been done recently by multiple people, but since 2019, nobody has better numbers than him. You know, I think last, I think Freddie Freeman had a, was the only one qualified guy with an OPS as good as Xander Bogarts from 2019 beginning on. And I haven't checked that recently, but I do know this, he's better than Mookie Betts. And then the way that I phrased it, and I think that, you know, it's because Mike Trout came to town. We had a lot of Mike Trout talk, but I looked at him as the Mike Trout of shortstop. I think the conversation about Xander Bogarts right now is that he is, isn't in the conversation for best shortstop. He is the best shortstop. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way. I like do. Fernando Tatis is a flashier shortstop, but first of all, He's a much worse defensive shortstop, much worse. Right. I, and, I, and I used to have this debate in the press box at Fenway with uh, somebody who worked for MLB.com, actually the StatCast uh, baseball savant people. And I said, look, I think Xander Bogarts is a great hitter. I think he's a good defensive player. I, and that was, you know, 2014, 2015. I think he's become a great defensive shortstop and he's really matured and, and that's what I, that's the part of the game that I think he worked on the most to refine his skills and whatnot correct me if I'm wrong but that's where I think he's grown really as a oh superstar. there's no question there's no question and I, you know listen whatever the analytics show 
I'll tell you, the, the eye test will, will suggest that he not only makes all the plays, but then every once in a while he makes the above average play. I mean, he, to me, and, and, and Cora had mentioned this, that he's the strongest shortstop in, in baseball. And I think what he was saying was that he's a bigger shortstop. Obviously, when we think bigger shortstops, right. we think Ripken, right? Ripken, okay, he was barely moving around in the second half of his career. Yes. Shouldn't really have been playing it. Um, A-Rod, obviously the, the, he was too big too. They've, you know, he needed to move to third. Your guy, Barry Larkin, he's a big guy, right? Mm, not really. Yeah, he's, he's six foot. He played. Uh, I looked big, at him. But... Last time I saw him, he was a big guy. <laughs> he's lost weight. He's on the Reds TV crew here in Cincinnati. Uh, and he does, he actually does a great job. I wanted to get to Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos before we conclude. But um, no, uh, Barry was, he was average size dave concepcion was bigger than than uh, barry lark yeah but he was skinnier and yeah. so you know you look at bogarts he's six two i think he's listed six two two eighteen but he's solid right and um so I, I just look at when you were talking this conversation about the best shortstop i don't think it's a co- tell me who's better like you have to tell me who's better all around i mean tatis would be the only guy that would but he's terrible him. defensively Right. I, I'm not arguing, Rob. I'm yeah. just saying that be, this game, this is where we are. It's all about production. It's very little. I mean, there are metrics on defense. I, I get that. Certainly our runs prevented and whatnot. Um, but so much of the game is so pitching numbers, spin rates, and in offense, OPS and slash lines. And that's it. And that's how decisions are made on rosters. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and you know why? I mean, the because you can lean on a team like Tampa. Look at Tampa. Tampa's baffling to me. And, and you look at, you talk, well, why is Tampa so good? And not only good this year, they're good every year. Yes. It's because you have Manuel Margot with, you know, a 660 OPS or whatever, hitting cleanup. And, and you know, you go down the line and you lose Charlie Morton and you lose Blake Snell and you're still in it. And really a big part of it is because of, you know, they're leaning on a lot of stuff that you talk about. But also, let's go back to the defensive part of it. Like, they're a really good defensive team. Very bad. So, when you don't have the payroll. Right. Payroll pays primarily for offense and offensive depth. Yes. And, and, and so, what does that tell you? What is almost more important now? And this is – and unfortunately, you know, what happens is that you have teams saying to their ownership, well, we can do it the Tampa way. And we don't have to spend the money for the, the guy. And we can have good defense. Well, okay, how's that working out for your Orioles? You know, it's how's that working out for you, whatever, Pirates. Or, and, and so I think it's, a com- it's, the same, it's the same thing with everything. It comes back to money ball, right? It's not about scouting. It's not about analytics, about everything. With, with what we're talking about, it's about everything. Have a good defense. Be wise in how you spend. But you also, as if you learn nothing from the Red Sox, understand when David Ortiz left and you tried to have a lineup without a middle of the order, no doubt about it, foundation guy, DH, how'd that work out for you? It didn't. So that's why you have to have that guy. That's why the Red Sox, they can have the Hunter Renfros and the Marway Gonzalez and the Kike Hernandez and Christian Arroyos, but you still need the Bogarts, Martinez, Devers right in the middle there. 
and that's why they're where they're at, you know, as they go to Houston this week, they're uh, 32 and 20, three game winning streak and just a game behind uh, Tampa Bay, 34 and 20. I mean, I guess we all figured Tampa Bay would eventually be the deepest and best all around team in the division. Right. But the Yankees losing three straight at Detroit, that, that raised some eyebrows. Yeah, man. Like, so here's a question I have for you. Yep. First of all, I think it's an awesome, awesome dynamic setting up where you have a four team race. Yep. I think they're all good teams and they're all flawed teams, but which team would you say has the best chance of sort of drifting off in the, in the, in the, in the wrong direction? Oh, of those four? Yeah. I'd say, uh, I, I still don't believe in Toronto. I don't know why it is, but I'd say Toronto and then the Yankees. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say the Yankees would be the team that. Well, it's hard. It's hard. Believe me, because you, you, you say the Yankees and then they go out and trade a bunch of prospects we've never heard of for a guy that's going to be useful or, you know, take on money or whatever it is. Although I don't even think they're taking on money. Obviously they got rid of Ottavino for just for money. Um, but it's, it's a weirdly constructed team, that Yankees team. And where, okay, I guess on the surface you say you need starters. All right, I guess. But then you have the lineup, and you talk to scouts. The scouts will look at that team and say, listen, all they try to do is hit home runs. Right. Like, you don't say that about the Red Sox. You don't say that about Tampa. You don't say that about the Blue Jays. And that's a dangerous, dangerous way to go, as we just saw in that well, series. And the irony of that, of course, is who's of that, of that group, who's leading in home runs, the Red Sox. Right, the Red Sox, yeah. And by the way, I think the, uh, the Rays, you know, the Rays have a good amount of home runs as well. I don't so, have the numbers in front of me. I'm sure they do. They're they, I know this. They strike out more than, I mean, I, you know, the Rays do strike out more than anybody else as well. So I understand that, but... But the, the Yankees, like, it's just – it is – it's no coincidence, I don't think. When you look at this, I think they've lost four of the last five, five of the last – five of the last six they've lost. Yeah. Right. And they they have scored, like, two or fewer runs in those, all the losses. Here's – to our point, the run differential, to me, is a very telling statistic. And I think over years, even before metrics became so huge – I think run differential matters. And that's the Pythagorean, you know, you, you use run differential to calculate the Pythagorean uh, expected win total of every team every year. Hold on, let, Bay, me, let, me get up, let me get up my abacus tracks, yeah. my, my wei.com abacus. Pull up baseball reference, I'll save <laughs> you the trouble. Tampa Bay's at a run differential of plus 61. Second, you would expect the Red Sox plus 54, very good. Toronto is at plus 42 and they are two games above 500 and the Yankees are only a plus 10. That surprises me that, yeah. that, that they've done as well as they have. And they only have a plus 10. And as you said, they try to hit home runs and it's not working out well for them. Well, so, so here's my question. And this is, this is where I, again, I find this race fascinating because we, we haven't had anything like this. We've had a couple teams maybe three teams, but it's a bunch of these four teams and they're all good and they're all interesting and they're all have very flawed, but you've got to, now comes the time tracks. How do you fix what ails you? Right. Yeah. So if you're the Yankees, how do you fix what ails you? All right. Do you go out and get Max Scherzer? Do you go out and get a, a, a huge, I don't know. Does that fix what ails you? 
I don't know. Yeah, but I, you have to, at this point, you're kind of uh, hamstrung uh, really by not a lot of teams are going to put bats on the market that you would project to, to help you right away. You've got to get lucky and maybe add a bat or two here later in the season that, uh, you know, gets hot and helps you at the back end of your roster. Fine. But that's, that's what the Yankees are stuck with. Right. But I think, I think this is where the Red Sox, as we sit here and might be wrong, have a little bit of an advantage. No, because, because first of all, listen, you know, as well as I do trade proposals, drive paid views. We all love them. People yep. love talking about them. Trade deadlines. Awesome. But as we sit here, okay, what do the Red Sox need? Like, what do you trade for? And I threw out Rich Rodriguez of um, the Pirates closer the other day, which, you know, sure. Okay. Michael Chavis for Rodriguez. Great. I mean, fine. Is it going to happen? I don't know. I think the Red Sox, if you're going to identify anything the Red Sox need, it's probably another like old guy along those lines to help to get the Barnes. But even with that said, all the things that we talk about, the Red Sox have internal answers, potentially. You have Ryan Brazier coming back, who, by the way, for 75% of the season last year was their best reliever, okay? You have Jaron Duran, as I said, he could, he could potentially be the jumper cables. He could be Rafael Devers in 2017. You know, ultimately, Jacoby Ellsbury became that in 2013 with um, – I'm sorry, 2007 with, you know, coming up in the playoffs and taking over for the last six games. Um, and then, of course, you have Chris Sale. Right. So the Red Sox have internal guys and the Blue Jays called up their top pitching prospect, Manoa. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but Manoa, Tampa Bay has, I mean, people don't understand how many arms they have. It's crazy. It, like it's, it's nuts. They're not going to keep calling up guys, but then you have the Yankees. Well, what, what are the Yankees solutions? You know? And so this is what I find really interesting. Okay. This is where we're at now. But how are you going to fix? How are you going to plug the holes in what you in what you built? I, I think that's those are all great points, and uh, you know I, we're running a little bit long here. But uh, your final thoughts on Alex Cora and the uh, job he's done, and I would assume the front runner right now for manager of the year. But I don't, it's interesting. I don't know if he he would get enough votes if he, if his uh, reputation is recovered. But what do you think? I mean, it, it's, it's the same deal when John Farrell took over in 2013, he was the right guy at the right time, right? Yep. Then he became not the right guy at the right time, at that time. When Alice Cora took over in 2018, same deal. He was the right guy at the right time. And this, when they went, when they were looking for a manager, I think said it all on. For this group, he was the right guy at the right time to get the most out of the key players, um, to supply the energy that they needed. And obviously, like we've seen it, he's a really, really smart baseball guy. So, um, I, you know, whatever, if people can't get past what he did before, that's, that's their thing. But if we're talking about the right guy for this team, I can't imagine a lot of other managers getting as much out of the Red Sox as Corey's gotten out of the Red Sox this year. I don't think there's any question about that, Rob. Uh, uh, your esteemed colleague, Ian Brown, made the same point on this very same podcast last week. 
that uh, Alex Cora had owned up right away. We knew he had to back in January when he accepted the job, when they re rehired him. And he did that and he's moved on. And that to me, moving on is a big part of why the 2021 Red Sox have become such a success story. It's been great to catch up with you again. Drags, this is an awesome podcast. You're doing an awesome job. Thanks, bud. It's, it's, you are a star and no matter what city you are in, uh, we miss you here in Boston, uh, but you know wherever wherever you are, I know that you. And I look forward to that book, by the way. Yeah, it'll come out someday. When when my head is in the right place to write fifty to eighty thousand words, it'll come out, and it'll be uh, it'll be a fun story to tell because there are. A ton I've, of and, I've, and I've said this before when we were talking about the origins of EEI. It's like there. I, I mean it sincerely. There. First of all, we aren't able to do what we are. We did without you. You were the most valuable guy, um, and you continue to be the most valuable guy wherever you are. So. I appreciate that, Rob. And and someday I'll make it back there. And uh, actually coming back for my uh, daughter's high school graduation at Lincoln Sudbury. So I'm looking oh, forward to that. So I'll catch up with a lot of people back uh, at that point. I look forward. That's going to be awesome. All right. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our great guest, Rob Bradford at weei.com. Rob, um, obviously everybody knows you can follow you on Twitter at Bradfo. What, where else can we follow your work? Ah, it yeah, come on. Okay, I'll I mean, do it for you. Go back up to the top. Let's go to, to weei.com. Weei.com is it's not you know you know tracks. Everyone works really hard, and and it's and and I I'm allowed to write you know my nonsense. You do there. an ama amazing job doing that. Hiding it, in the bushes as you always do every spring. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's it's a lot more challenging to hide in the bushes when you're when you're in your living room doing Zoom calls, which yeah, is a whole other deal. I bet it is. Oh uh, yeah. Um, who's, um, yep. who's your co-host on Live BP? Oh, Steve Peral. Of the I want to give a shout out to Steve. He's 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 a he's a star, man. He's he's great. We have a lot of fun. And you know, it's just like this, Trags. It's you know, I, I love we can talk baseball all the live long day. And unfortunately, in that show on EI, um, it's just hey, listen, here's two hours and we're just talking baseball. That's the way it ought to be. Yeah, I mean, at some point in the week, you gotta you gotta carve that out, um, and and you can't just keep talking about Tom Brady and Patriots and Cam Newton and whatever. I mean, it's people want it, especially with this team, yeah. especially with this team. All right, again, I want to thank uh, Rob for uh, joining us. I want to thank everybody for downloading the podcast, and also let us not forget this because Rob, you know, it is all about the business. We want to thank our terrific sponsor betonline.ag. For Rob Bradford, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media.